so as always I'm here with my my good friend and colleague Noah Isserman uh, over in San Francisco I'm uh, here in England Noah great to see you this af- uh, this afternoon yes likewise yeah good morning for out here yeah yeah and we've got Vine Nair coming today from Lightful um, I've known Vine a few years he's built a business pretty much from scratch with his friends um, that's got to about 60 people doing uh, doing doing all sorts of interesting things in um, in, in in charities and social businesses tech um, he's uh, he's got a great story yeah and and in reading through it online and it seemed like it could be 600 people in the organization it's really remarkable the the breadth of the work that they've gotten to do so I'm really excited to dive into it and also get a sense of why he's doing it he's had a really interesting career of his own he's he sort of started as a master of the universe and then worked back to being at the coalface, now being a, a chief exec. So I'm really excited to, to learn the whys of that. I'm really pleased to welcome to Social Business Builders, Vinay Nair of Lightful. Hello, Vinay. Hello, Craig. Lovely Great. to see you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And how are you? Very well. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Fantastic, fantastic! It's it's brilliant having you with us. And Vinay, um, um, we've got Noah here, Noah Isserman, my, my my good colleague from the uh, the the, uh, the University of Illinois. And tell our listeners in in a really simple way what, what Lightful does, what why it matters, and kind of what's special about uh, Lightful. Thank you, Craig. Well, Lightful is a technology company for social good. We're a B Corp that services exclusively charity, social enterprises, trusts and foundations, really ultimately driven by belief that those doing the greatest good deserve the best technology. And what we do is we design, develop, and build out digital products and services, whether it's to help a charity to save time, to raise awareness, raise funds for their work, implement a new system like CRM or a portal that can actually help them to um, really multiply their impact through technology so that ultimately they can deliver more impact in the work that they do. So, Vinay, like clearly you and Craig and I all see Lightful as a social business, right? But in, in what ways do you really see it that way as opposed to just being an ordinary private business with clients who happen to do good work? A lovely question, Noah. And yeah, I do, you know, it's funny, language is a funny thing. And perhaps because in the late, 2000s and the early uh, teens, I'm not sure what the decades are quite called. I feel like I spent a lot of time at conferences where we used to debate definitions that, you know, I tend not to use many labels. I don't think I call myself a running a social business or a social enterprise or, you know, I, I, I wonder if because I feel like we went round and round so many times, um, I felt it, it matters more sort of how you do your work as well as what you do. So I've got, uh, you know, so that was kind of the, the driving force around how we set up Lightful. Now, it felt also important that we had some kind of clear clarity around what it means to not just say, oh, we happen to serve this sector, but, you know, what we do ourselves matters as well. So we became a certified B Corporation, a B Corp, um, a while ago, really because I felt like that was a, a, a rigorous, hard to achieve and wonderful community of other B Corps that really helped to define that you can positively correlate and align profit, people, and planet. And so in many ways, I think, Noah, what we do 
with our clients and how we do it, which is nice to have the B Corp certification. It's kind of how I really think about um, the, the nature of our social business, if you will, with the, the name of the, the, the podcast. I'm not going to disparage any of the terms. It's just funny that I often don't sort of associate. I don't even think I call myself an entrepreneur for that matter, by the way. So um, that's really how we think about it, what we do and, and how we do it. Wonderful. And, and so that's the social business part. I think we're really curious about the building, right? I think all of us are very curious about it. So could you maybe walk us through the, the early stages in, in building and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, uh, zigzag, up and down, pivot here, pivot there, all those kind of cliches and stories. I think we lived them all and I've got the scar, scars of my back to prove it now. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mentioned at the start of the journey, we had some investors who really backed what we do uh, and asked me to go across to be chief exec, which, um, which was a wonderful thing. Now, th those investors, interestingly, often did themselves, by the way, didn't really have that language of profit with purpose or tech for good or social business. But they kind of knew, again, that what they should be doing with their investment was that it needed to care about both financial return and social environmental impact as well. There's some really interesting people, you know, Nick Mason, the drummer from Pig Floyd, Sir Andy Murray, Kira Knightley, like, you know, kind of our, our, our investors are, are kind of really interesting people, but for whom this was a really natural piece as well. I think that really put the wind in my sails, uh, particularly at the start. I think it probably still does. Um, you know, part of what we wanted to do was to be able to serve small nonprofits as well. And we started, you know, with our previous name, Thunder Boom, really was this idea of amplifying their video content. We were a YouTube multi-channel network because, you know, again, charities, nonprofits have the best stories to tell. So, you know, this is what we feel should really dominate authentic, you know, youth-led, you know, substantive, you know, that's what often gets resonance online. We moved from thinking it was just um, YouTube and videos to thinking about social media. And a lot of our work then initially Noah was focused around social media and a social media management tool to help save time, save money, save resources to, to kind of raise awareness and funds. Mm -hmm. Even though that started going well, we quickly realized again, um, and you know, we use human-centered design, so we're always trying to authentically listen, not just pay lip service, but genuinely understand what user behavior is. And we realized that it wasn't just about the tools, but also a need for wraparound skills and support. So all of our work was kind of continually evolving to try and listen and adapt to what was needed. And what we also started working with, so for example, um, Craig asked me to mention some of the large charities and, and, and organizations work, but Comic Relief was our first big partner who said, well, this is really interesting what you do in terms of social media management. And we had built out a thing called Lightful Academy, which had uh, online courses and learning of what they could do. Um, so we started combining that with a team of relationship managers to, to give not just the tools, but the skills and support as well to support small charities to do it. And some large foundations and funders like Comic Relief and the Gates Foundation said, well, this could be really interesting for groups of our grantees. So we worked with about 80 of Comic Relief's grantees at first, and that adapted into a whole program offering, which we now have under Light for Learning called the Bridge Program, Building Resilience and Digital Growth and Engagement. Now, most of thousand nonprofits in over 50 countries kind of having gone through it. So it was always about kind of adapting and listening. A couple of other parts of our work really where we started looking at, um, at kind of systems and CRM, we big partner of Salesforce, for example. And again, trying to understand how we could customize solutions, particularly for larger charities. Again, 
using human-centered design, um, understanding actual behavior versus what we think the behavior will be during scoping and solution design, and then being able to build out more customized solutions. And that also has evolved from kind of um, that ability of, of um, building, you know, very, very systems oriented to much more solution oriented uh, as well. And there are a couple of other interesting bits you know, with, that we do around vaccine trust building and digital products and so on that we might come back to. But that's kind of been the evolution of how we're always trying to listen, respond and, and react in a positive way. Thanks, Vinaya. And I guess as, as, you, as you were talking there, a question came into my mind about, you know, in most businesses, certainly ones I've been involved in, there's a kind of there's a kind of breakthrough moment there's a moment when you all look at each other and think this 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 is our this is our moment this is our time you know if if we if if we get this one right we're away and um, what was your big moment in this business the crucible moment the wonderful question and I don't know, Craig, if I necessarily have a single one. I'm not immediately going, oh my God, yes, this was our moment. I have a couple of big ones, though, um, that I'll share. I think that that story that I mentioned around Comic Relief and the Bridge Program mm -hmm. was a pivotal moment. However, the, um, the moment, I think, that came during COVID, when, you know, March, April of last year, when we started evaluating um, what it is that the bridge program could do in service of charities um, during what was you know an ever evolving situation one of the moments i think was a call that we had with the bill and melinda gates bill and melinda gates foundation where we sort of really said how can we be of service to the sector and we created and launched the COVID response cohort of the bridge program that is one of those big moments craig because actually we did it really from for the right reasons from the right way in terms of being of service but we didn't anticipate exactly what would happen now of course you realize oh people who are digital first covid was the right time for them to grow and so on we didn't quite know that on the way in so i think that response to genuinely what the needs were and seeing the reaction you know the participants raised 64 percent more funds going through the program than a cohort group uh, than a control group that we uh, tracked and so on so we could evaluate the difference and difference of impact that i think was one of those really big moments the second one, I think, on our solution side was really when we started working with the Rhodes Trust. And, you know, I think many of us will follow many Rhodes scholars, epidemiologists and virologists and so on who are doing amazing work right now. And actually our ability to partner with them and look at their alumni, their senior scholars, as they call them, and really build a community portal for them so they could start collaborating, not even realizing sometimes what they're doing. And then actually you're bringing the power of technology and community into the online world, but actually with human connection. It's that kind of best of human and tech, I think, that we see. And I think that was a second moment, Craig, where we, that, that, that really sticks out when you ask a question like that. The combination of this two, because they really happened in 2020 and the world, everything that, that happened. I think that, that's, they're the two client-facing pieces that really hit us in, in, a, in a very good way. Oh, it's wonderful to hear how these different stories of you responding to need, right? And listening. And, you know, you mentioned human-centered design a couple of times. On the one hand, that seems like such a marvelous way to make sure you're only building things people want. On the other hand, it seems like you end up perhaps moving, becoming a consulting business or moving into too many different lines as you grow. So could you give us a little bit of a sense of 
how that's developed and sort of what Lightful does with most of your time and most of your people and sort of how big you are right now. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a really good point. And, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges as you kind of move from startup to scale up is that you're, you do start getting a lot of opportunities and figuring out what to prioritize, what, where I myself, frankly, spend my time, the team, the right organizational structure. So we're, we're almost 60 people now um, at Lightful. We had two offices in London and Bristol, I guess we have, and soon will uh, again. And we hired our first colleague in the US uh, earlier this year as well, and we'll be expanding, um, I think, internationally uh, now in the coming coming months. So that's a bit from a people perspective, kind of to give you a bit of a, a sense of what we do. I do think, and you know, people like, we talked about some of your previous guests, um, Noah and Craig, you know, Ben, Rick, I mentioned I learned at, their, uh, at the feet of people like Ben, Ben had, has an uncanny ability that I really learned from to simplify. And you know, you could have the most complex scenarios, but he collapses and sheds to actually get to the kernel of what's happening. And it's a, a muscle that I've been trying to strengthen myself because I get enthusiastic. Oh my God, there's an opportunity here. What about this and whatever? I recognize that in myself. Um, and so actually, even at the start of 2020, pre-COVID, it felt like we were probably doing a little bit too much. And so we, what we looked to do was to simplify, restructure and, and, and kind of collapse all of the stuff that we we're doing into a couple more discrete buckets. And so Noah, now we have three parts of what Lightful does. Lightful learning, Lightful solutions and Lightful products. Lightful learning is what I mentioned, that bridge program, Lightful solutions, the customized solutions. Lightful products is a very exciting part of the business because it actually allows us to go after some of the specific areas where we think there are opportunities to service our customers without it feeling like distracting or mission drift or, oh, no, 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 actually we can be very deliberate in what we do. And the way we structure the business, again, a 2020 evolution uh, um, through, to 2020, through to this year was to have an MD in each of those three parts of the business. Again, to make sure that we're not being pulled in, you know, an incorrect or excessive amount of direction. So that's how we've tried to stay focused, but also, remain very ambitious because we've been growing, we're doubling year on year for the last three years, both our revenue and our impact. And that's something we intend to keep doing. So that's how I've been trying to strike the balance with advice and feedback, always welcome. So you've now shared about some of the excitement you feel, right, about your clients, about your business and about the team um, that you and Lightful have built. Could you share a little bit more about what brought you to this, right? Social entrepreneurs often have really interesting stories or, or backgrounds that they think drew them in. What, what's that for you? So um, I think there's a personal piece and there's a professional piece. Um, the personal piece, you know, I'm originally Indian. I actually grew up in Ireland, moved over to the UK, to London uh, about 20 years ago to start my work, my career in the city. Um, I, I'm originally from Kerala in South India, which is a really strong matriarchal society. And my um, sort of, my, my grand aunt, you know, was a freedom fighter. My, another grand aunt of mine actually ran for president of India, unifying the parties of the left um, a, a number of years ago. And actually that sense of social justice is something that really exists, um, I think in me personally, how I grew up. Um, my father, my mother, I have an older sister, uh, aunts, uncles, cousins. It really was a big part of me. And so that social justice piece, I think, has always been part of me. And then, no, I tell you how I joined the city when I started my first job out of, uh, out of university. 
kind of stumbled in, in in a way. In many ways, I fell in love with London when I was living in Dublin. I came over for a summer internship um, and I just fell in love with the city. And uh, JP Morgan actually was, is a wonderful place to work with a great culture, um, interestingly. Um, given I think so much of the baby got thrown out with the bathwater in the noughties and uh, sorry, in the, during the financial crisis and so on. But professionally, I think I managed to, to learn a lot at JP Morgan and, and enjoyed my time. But I found myself evenings and weekends doing sort of other stuff, which I think is a story that I hear a lot now. Um, at the time, there were only a handful of, um, I think, um, people who were really exploring that ability to take your professional skills, to marry them with their values. And I started my exploration in the field of microfinance, which is where people like Muhammad Yunus, for example, had done this piece around. And I was like, oh, I get finance and I really care about you know, the sense of you know, authentically building the capabilities of poor women in, in the developing world. And you know, so that I think Noah is what I started, um, that, that was professionally when I started seeing, and I went on a sabbatical from JP Morgan with some lucky timing pre-crisis, where I started seeing actually I could apply my skills to align them with my values and then terms and sectors like impact investing started evolving. Social entrepreneurship of course was a thing but it started becoming bigger. Um, I actually moved to Sub-Saharan Africa. I worked for the Clinton Foundation, worked in public health for a while as my first thing outside of, um, outside of JP Morgan. So that I think was the piece for me. When I found that ability where you can positively correlate profit with purpose, tech for good, you know, all of those language social business, that's I think how I would professionally answer your question. So Vinny, you you set off on the journey of of setting up Lightful with your with your um, with your colleagues, and you made a decision to set up as a as a as a, as a private business, not a not a CIC or a, or, or any other kind of thing. Um, some people who listen to this would say, well, why why did they set up a, a company? You know, why is it why is it all private? What why is it not a community interest company or whatever? Why did you choose private and and specifically B Corp? What was your what was your thinking there when you did it? So, uh, great question. And, and, you know, as I mentioned, particularly <laughs> from a number of years ago, and Craig, you'll remember this uh, vividly and Noah as well, that, that definition debate used to drive me um, a little bit cuckoo, right? In those. Yes, those... yes. Me too, me too. Yeah. Um, we, we thought at the time, I still think it's very much the right decision that a private company where we could um, hire the best people, raise equity capital as growth capital, and really build a business that frankly, I, I seek and I think in some small ways we are now demonstrating how profit and purpose should coexist, must frankly coexist, it was kind of the philosophy we had. I don't think we had that grand language perhaps on the way in, but that's what Carlos, Johnny and I really, really believed and, and continue to believe. So actually, I think it was to, rather than apologetically not being a kick or um, wondering why we were a private company, we actually thought, how about we do this? How about we make sure everybody who works at Lightful gets an ownership stake in the business? How about we raise investment? How about we grow this in a really, I mentioned, you know, some of this doubling of revenue and impact that we've been doing. That was kind of the, the aspiration, I guess, if you will, again, on the way in. That's why we set it up that way. And I think the B Corp is a really important part of that for us. That's, for, that's a benefit corp, isn't it? That, that's the, that's the, is that the, is that what the B stands for? It's benefit, isn't it? Yeah. That's right, that's right Craig. And, and, you know, 
I think this benefit corporation, B Corp sense is really important because I think a lot of my, probably the last 13, 14 years, I've been working, you know, what is a social enterprise in India that Acumen Fund would invest in? Wouldn't pass the big society capital definition of what a social enterprise in the UK when I worked at SAS. Now, a social business in Muhammad Yunus language, as you will know, Craig, is very different to what Craig Garden Phillips's definition of a social business is. And yes, I did put Muhammad Yunus and Craig Garden Phillips in the same sentence. So <laughs> I think I think that the, the sense of the, the the melding of different sectors that we're seeing, I love, but it's about authenticity and about transparency. And I think things like B Corp really, really help that way. That's kind of what we did on the way in. And that's what we're trying to have a positive influence, frankly, in other technology companies, other private companies. Why, why shouldn't they also be aligning profit and purpose? Kind of, isn't that what they should be doing? So I, uh, that, that, that's kind of the decision on the way in, how we drive forward. And I guess that, that all works, I guess, if your investors are on board with that as well, because you know, investors have a, a very sort of powerful influence on businesses, as we know. Tell us a bit about your investors and, and what, what distinguishes them from perhaps, you know, other investors. I don't know if they necessarily are distinguished from other investors, because I just wonder if other investors necessarily know that this ability, and some may say obligation, to align these different aspects of, you know, impact and, and financial success. Yeah. Um, are, are available to them and kind of what they need to do. Now, clearly impact investing has grown in a massive way and people yes. are angel investing and venture investing and, you know, impact angels and all this kind of stuff. I think it's, I think it's really good. Probably what I would say is, and it's a little bit to Noah's question earlier, we talked about how we're structuring the business to positively correlate both, you know, the more small nonprofits that we help to raise more funds so they can deliver more impact in their communities better it is for them, the better it is for us, positive feedback with, that reinforces uh, itself. So I think our investors um, probably just, and it was you know four or five years ago when we had that conversation, they saw the value of how both could be achieved. They really believed in the team. They, they really believed in me, which as I mentioned earlier, I'm immensely grateful for. Um, and I think that they've seen that benefit of how you can continue to grow, build and accept, you know, I, love to talk a little bit more about the team and the culture at LIFO because that's been a big part of the success and why they continue to believe in us and you know follow on investments and so on which we've been successfully able to do it's interesting in a way that our many of our investors are very successful in film and sport and the arts mm. and so on and so forth um you know no rinky dinky investment coming from here it's like you know they um invest directly with themselves there's no kind of big shell company yes. something something that occurs but i think you know having support also from um you know i mentioned nick mason from pink floyd members yes. of genesis uh, people in the arts and, and all this kind of stuff it's a lot of fun as well by the way to have them yeah. um supporting us but i think that can positively message and signal to others as well final point i would say is our our investor director is a gentleman called jeffrey thomas and he has been doing this for decades you know, and him and his partner, Sharon Britton and Neil Donovan and others have been investing and leading companies this way in a long time. Even Jeff list, listed a company on NASDAQ in the 90s where he had this um, belief, but not necessarily the vernacular when it came to what we were doing. And so I think that that meeting of minds and beliefs and values and, and hearts, if you will, 
is probably what has given life to the, the Bach. So, so you've been able to align social purpose, if you like, with 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 business logic successfully. A load of people have kind of found that 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 resonates with them, and they've joined you on this journey. Brilliant, yeah, and uh, and and that's uh, that's how it's happened. Yeah, well, I, I found myself wondering, right? You have sixty people, you are successfully making the world better. You're successfully growing. You have this uncommonly influential and uncommonly beautiful set of investors, right? You have a seasoned executive. So, what's next for Lightful? Where do you where do you go next in building the business? Um, I will pinch myself that you said all those things on a recorded podcast. Now, very humbled and very <laughs> thank you. Um, some of the things are, are definitely true, and I'm, I'm greatly appreciative for, for the team and, and our investors, and, and frankly, our, our customers, clients, and, uh, and, and sort of stakeholders. Um, even if all of that were true, and let's go with the premise that it is, there's so much more to do. You know, part of what I see happening, I think, and as we move into this kind of hybrid post-COVID um, world, is that we are seeing this coming together around a deep interest for passion on tackling not just health inequities, but looking at climate justice, racial equity, looking at economic inequality. I think there's a confluence of these crises that are coming together. I'm also noticing whether it's, you know, I live in South London, not far from where Sarah Everard was uh, abducted and, you know, reclaimed these streets. I'm a big football fan. Craig and I both are. And, you know, um, I you, see- You support the most successful team. <laughs> other conversation because I support Manchester United and if I see how the European Super League was stopped in its track mm. by a real sense of frankly by the way say that loud a social enterprise type of 50 plus one structure which is what fans really got behind if I look at Black Lives Matter if I look at you know I've got young children Fridays for the Future and I look at cl- climate justice me too and, and I look at my look at Marcus Rashford let's use a really great example related to Manchester United. You know, a lot of these movements are digitally, digital first, youth led, but they're not necessarily the traditional charity sort of structure. And I think our sector, Noah, has to see that as an opportunity, but how do we embrace mutual aid groups, the compassion in local communities, and abundance of volunteering hours that didn't quite match with demand, yet charities always feeling human resource constrained, how do we see the fact that you know there was more giving on International Women's Day, on Giving Tuesday, on these peak days, but actually just generally from everyday givers and so on? So I think that, that what's next for Lightful is to recognize that how the, the needs and the appetite for greater justice and equity in the world is rising. And you know, technology is the means, not the ends, towards supporting how not just a traditional 501c3 in the US, a charity commission regulated charity in, in the UK can actually drive this change. But actually, overall, how can we drive that social justice forward? I see technology as having such a key role to play in that. That's how I want us to, you know, we're, we're you know, Craig mentioned not many people necessarily know Lightful. We're kind of okay with that. We have this thing powered by Lightful. You know, we're B2B, we're a little bit in the background. That's certainly fine because we want to. See the amplification of these great causes connecting with great people to deliver more. So that's where I see the opportunity and frankly need. And, and you know, our sector isn't yet doing enough. And, you know, I'm concerned with that. And we see the pressures that are happening. That's how I want to see 
that's how I see the direction going and how I want us to drive forward Lightfall in that as well. So Vinay, you, when you started Lightfall, you were you were a band of brothers. I think it was brothers, uh, and uh, you there were, there were several of you. What's it like founding a company with multiple co-founders? Um, yeah, you know, it's it's brothers is a funny word because that's kind of how it feels, you know. Um, it's been wonderful. It's, that doesn't mean it's not been without its challenges, but it's been wonderful. And Carlos, Johnny and I are, are very, very close. We were able to see each other for the first time, you know, in a year or whatever, uh, a couple of weeks ago, which you know, literally was just a, an incredible feeling because even though we speak all the time, there's nothing quite like having those downtime and moments where you can talk family stuff, but talk professional stuff and really either problem solve or just shoot, shoot the breeze. Um, so it's been really, really good. I think the, you know, sharing values is is everything. You know, everything then emanates from that because then if you disagree on something substantive or minor, you know, Noah's asked question: Are you doing too much? How do you know if you're doing too much? Whatever, you know, we have those conversations, for example, and we may not be aligned. Um, ultimately, I and I also know ultimately I'm the CEO, and so the buck stops with me. People look to me, and so on. You know, that's interesting when you've got your really good friends who are you know working alongside of you on the board and so on as well. Sharing your values means that you can make decisions in the right way and be authentic about that. And I think by having that, that's why it's been wonderful. You know, we, we, we periodically disagree. By the way, interestingly, not even that much necessarily, but we periodically disagree. We come to the other side of that and then we move forward. So, so I've actually really, really enjoyed it. You know, Johnny has been a friend of mine for, since we were in university together. It's a long time. Um, but, you know, we, we have found this way, or maybe we had this way, where we trust each other. Maybe that's a really good thing. We trust each other. So yeah. well. Carlos and I know each other and link through the through kids and all this kind of stuff. That, that trust and the values is probably how uh, I think it, it, it works so well. And I, I remember just a bit earlier in the interview, you said that your investors at, one, at some point came along and said, Vinay, we want you to be chief exec. How did that land with the others? You know, it's, it's, it's a nice question. So Johnny, who I mentioned earlier, Johnny Manan, was uh, our MD, essentially, before that conversation. And um, there were kind of two parts when, they, they, when we had that conversation with our investors. The first is I had it with you know myself, I guess, with my wife and, and myself, thinking, hmm, this is, as you were saying, Craig, this is a different thing. That's a bit of a risk and whatever. And I definitely landed in a positive place. When it came to Johnny and, and Carlos, who was a, remain, was a non-exec, remained non-exec and is now a chair. Um, interestingly, Johnny also felt that we needed a chief exec who you know, had passion and shared his values and drive. And we all kind of felt that. And the investors were kind of like, yeah, Vinay, that, that's you. And I think Johnny felt that as well. So we had a conversation say, are we good with this? I think we've, no, you know, very close, for example, was very close with Johnny's brother, like, you know, the river runs deep. But actually, it worked fine and continues to work fine as well. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> I treat people with respect, irrespective of co-founder or most junior people, a person in, in the company. Um, and I think that probably, and Johnny kind of knew on the way in that, you know, this will be done in, in, in the right and respectful way. Also knowing that, yeah, you know, I used to work in the trading floor and had to be very decisive as well. So there's that balance and, uh, to strike as well. So it, it, it landed well. And, uh, you know, we kind of haven't, Vinay, you have this interesting team. You care a lot about people that shines through in, in all of this. But 
the culture in an organization that is called Thunderboom. And I still want an action figure at some point, right? But you go from Thunderboom um, with this sort of like high-powered influencer, you know, sort of initial group of people, right? And then you go through all these processes of, of becoming a much more technical organization in some ways, or at least moving beyond sort of voice and, and media. How do you keep, like, what, what, what do you, how do you set your culture? And then when you go from a handful of people to 60 people, and now you're involved in so much broader conversations in the world, how has your culture evolved over that time? And how do you think you're steering it going forward? Culture is vital. You know, I think it starts with our, our values. I actually co-opted the values from Acumen Fund, where I previously worked, which was a mm-hmm. set of, which is a set of values. We set it, you know, 10 years ago at Acumen, which is a set of values in, in pairs, listening and leadership, audacity and humility, accountability and generosity. Really with the idea of saying it's not just kind of nice platitudes on the wall, but having to navigate the challenges of, you want to be really generous because of these high impact organizations working, but you've got to be accountable to your colleagues and other stakeholders as well. You know, we, we're mm-hmm. so audacious. You asked me a question, Noah, what's next? We have to remain humble in service of the, the clients we exist to serve. So I think having the values, talking about the values and really recruiting for and, and reinforcing the values has made a very, very positive uh, impact uh, as well. I think that was also important in terms of, I mentioned, you know, the how, is important to us, not just the what. And I think then as we, you know, we already had a day or so, everybody was working from home. As we moved into 2020 and everybody was remote, I think that shared belief and understanding of the team at the time, and then the, you know, however, 15 people, whatever it is, whoever we've hired in that intervening period who I haven't physically met yet, you know, actually reinforcing that with kind of what we do, the social, even Zoom socials that we would have, the, the weekly all hands that we have, the, the quarterly kind of, um, you know, business updates, impact updates that we do, the B Corp certification that we talk about. I think the kind of rituals that we have, as well as this highfalutin values thing and trying to just ground that in every day, how people engage with each other, look after each other. It can be sometimes very small things like work from home buddies, or it can be kind of larger things like a a kind of a facilitated value session i think that's what we've continued to do and in some ways that growth of people we've been able to be consistent throughout that process so that's how i think we've been able to navigate it and we have this very organization that people are very proud to work for and how i hope and intend and fingers crossed it does indeed happen that as we continue to grow and evolve internationalize and time zones and all of this kind of stuff the new challenges that we have, hybrid working, et cetera, we can not just preserve it, but I actually hope enhance it further as well. So, Vinay, when we have guests on this program, we ask them to share with us their, their best bit of advice for, for, for other social business builders, people who are maybe one or two strides behind you down the road. Um, what's your number one piece of advice for up-and-coming social business builders? Thank you, Craig. Yeah, it's, it's been an honor to be uh, kind of following the footsteps of you know, Liam Black and Benrick and many others uh, to be able to share this. And I've always been you know, curious to know what others are doing when they have a couple of uh, strides ahead of me. There are things that really matter. Cash flow really matters. Mm. You know, having a, a set of a board and a set of, of um, stakeholders that really support you and 
challenge you in the right way really matters. Mm. Um, talking about your impact, calibrating to that regularly really matters. I think ultimately, you know, even though we're a technology business, I would say it's about people. You have to be able to, to make tough decisions when you have gotten your people decisions wrong. You need to learn from that and then make better people decisions. You need to support, invest, and harness your people because that ultimately is what can drive whatever it is your social business is, whatever you're driving to. And I don't think that's twee or, or cliche, you know. I really think that piece around people, hiring, retention, firing, that's actually what will help put the pieces of the jigsaw together to help enable your vision as the leader of that social business. So that's what I would say. Wonderful advice. And I, I just, I, I wonder when we look at your story, right? It all seems so well aligned, right? Every bit of skill, every bit of purpose, every pivot through your personal story, through the business story. And it, it often doesn't feel like that at the time. So thinking about people who are younger than you perhaps and going through that process, do you have any advice to, to somebody, say, in their 20s who's working on figuring this out? Thank you. No, and I really appreciate your kind words. And you're right. You know, it feels lovely to talk, you know, with you both today and be able to, you know, find the golden thread that runs through some of those questions you're asking. It really doesn't feel that way at the time, you know, as we all know, as we all have our stories, um, uh, I think, as well. I would say probably, you know, and, and I act as an advisor at Said Business School. I meet a lot of sort of MBA students, I, you know, speak at various events where you get people, you know, kind of really particularly ex-finance, looking at impact investing, maybe in technology, looking for tech for good and so on. I think what, what I would probably say, Noah, is that there's, there is no single ideal path. You know, Jacqueline Novogratz, mentor of mine, um, big admirer, I'm actually on Acumen's advisory board. It's really interesting because Jacqueline only set up Acumen, an organization that pretty much every 20-something-year-old in social impact, you know, aspires to in her early 40s. You know, people say, do I move now? Do I stay in consulting? Do I do this? Do it's like, maybe yes, you know, and then you look at somebody who'd set something else up and, you know, Malala's won her Nobel Peace Prize before she's entered her uh, undergrad degree. But like, don't calibrate yourself to others you know, really think about, and you know, there will be no perfect time to jump, time to go. You'll make mistakes, that's okay. You'll learn from them. I would just say, you know, look at what's in front of you, assess the personal side, the professional side, the financial side, the familial side, um, and then make those calls and don't think you have to hit a certain milestone or the FOMO will overcome you and so on. You know, driving, so I'd encourage people in their 20s to really think about social business because the world needs them, needs all of us, because there's urgency we need right now. And we have to step up collectively to do it. But whether that means you do a fellowship, whether that means you do an MBA, whether that means you set up your own thing, whether that means you try and be an entrepreneur, all may be valid paths. Do it for the right reasons. Calibrate to your values and what you know impact you want to have on the world. And I think the decisions flow from there. That was, that's what I would say now. I, I feel inspired uh, by that, genuinely. Like downright, downright thunder boomed. Thank you for all your contributions, all your advice, Vinay. It's been a delight to have you with us. Um, people know where to find Lightful now and hopefully how to find you. Um, and, um, and so we're going um, to say goodbye for now, Vinay. Thank you very much, Vinay, co-founder of Lightful. Um, 
Vinay's uh, Vinay's left us left the room. Um, what an interesting session. Uh, what really stood out for you? I, I think he did a great job of being a CEO in terms of bringing clarity in telling this story. You know, he mentioned this golden thread, um, or perhaps you did, yeah. right? Yeah, that makes yeah. it feel so clean going through. I think he did a great job of, of sharing what's a really complicated business, frankly, mm. and trying to cut through very quickly. Yes, and uh, I think, um, and I, I got a picture of him working with others really well as well. He, he, he's, he's honed in on the fact that businesses, growing businesses are, are all about people um, and collaborators and the importance of, you know, the right collaborators, the right investors, the right, the right staff and the right culture. Um, and they've done that there because uh, I've been there and, uh, and it is definitely real. I'll join you there. Yeah, really remarkable person, really remarkable way of shining his purpose all the way through. What a pleasure.